Amen. All right. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. I feel like I was just up here. Jeremiah 29. So as Kelby's already mentioned, kind of give you some background text. Yes, uh, from Arkansas. And, and when I say that I'm from Arkansas, I mean, my wife and I, well, specifically me, I, I'd throw her in there to make, to make me look a little bit better. But like, I mean, we're, we're really Arkansans. I mean, we, we are committed Razorback fans, chagrin, all you want. I mean, we are. Uh, yesterday was a miserable day at my house uh, watching that basketball game. I was, I, was, I was personally offended for some reason, but we're Arkansans. I, I never expected to live east of the Mississippi River. I did not. I, I thought, honestly, that if the Lord was going to call me anywhere to go and to minister, it was going to be in Tanzania, where we've been working for, since 2014, going at least once a year, a couple of occasions twice a year to minister to, to, to the church there and to work with a group of pastors that we've had the privilege of getting to know since then and work with and see churches planted there. I really did. I thought that was going to be the plan. I never, ever expected to be pastoring in Mississippi, let alone planting a church in Mississippi. I did not think of that in my five to ten year goals a few years ago, and yet that's exactly where the Lord has us. And I think that's, a, that's kind of a beautiful thing because if you, if you remember the words of Paul, right, when he, when he preaches the famous sermon on Mars Hill and he tells the people there, he says, it's the Lord who determines where we live and the times in which we live, right? I mean, we all think from time to time, I, I wish I could live such and such place or I wish I'd have lived in such and such time. I feel like I'm, maybe I'm a person out of time in the wrong place. And yet, and yet in God's providence, you're exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be. And I think that's a very important thing for Christians even today to understand because as we see all the chaos that's going around and as we see all the things that, that disturb us and should disturb us, we have to have a mindset and understanding. And yet, just like in the book of Esther, it's for such a time as this that the Lord has placed us here. Okay? As we worry about our children, as we worry about all the things that, that we feel like as Christians we're forced to worry about today, the reality is God's still in control. Amen. And he's never not been in control. And his sovereign hand has never not been over his people and all things. And so I come to this passage this morning with a couple of thoughts. Number one, and just in my head, all of us are living in exile. I'm not just an Arkansan out of place in Mississippi. All of us, as Christians, are living in exile. What does Peter tell us in his epistle? That we are all strangers and aliens. Number two, number two, God has a purpose and a plan for all that he's doing. Everything. God has a purpose and plan for the Russia-Ukraine thing? Yep, he's got a purpose and plan there. God's got a purpose and plan for all this COVID nonsense? Yep, he still has a purpose and plan and has had one for all the COVID nonsense. God has a purpose and plan for cancer? God has a purpose and plan for cancer. God has a purpose and plan for everything. And nothing is outside of his sovereign decree and sovereign control as he rules and reigns all things for our good and his glory. Now, why is that important to understand? 
Because in our day and age, just like in the prophet Jeremiah's day and age, there are always going to be competing messages. Messages that say things like, no, God's really not in control. No, this is, this is, this is solely humanity that's gotten us in this mess. And, and really, either there's no God at all, or he's limited in what he can and can't do. Or, or there are going to be messages that, that similarly, but in a more Christian mindset, say, this is why we believers, we Christians, we've got to do more, we've got to be more, that, that, that we want these things, we want to motivate people by guilt rather than grace to say, see, this is why you need to behave in yourself because you're making everything go wrong. And this poor God in heaven, he just can't keep control of everything. That's not a good mindset either. What we have to understand is there's one true message, just as there's one true God. And though we may not understand his purposes in all things, we do have to understand that he's still very much in control. He's still very much on his throne. And everything he ordains is right. Everything. And so we come to this passage in Jeremiah 29, and, and so also for, for some clarity's sake, the very first sermon I ever preached in June of 1998 was from this text. And so if I can be honest, for the last 24 years now, getting close to 24 years now, I, I continue to come back to this passage in hopes that one of these days I may get it right. Okay, That's really why I love coming back to this passage. In hoping that one of these days I may get this text right and I may actually preach it the way it needs to be preached. We'll see. If I do that this morning, then you can put the sermon on sermon audio and everything else. If not, just keep it off. All right. Verse 1 of chapter 29. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah, the king and the queen, and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemerah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon, build ye houses and dwell in them. And plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there, and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And you shall call upon me, and shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, I will drive you again into this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. May God bless the reading of his word. And all his people said, Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we ask that this word that we have read would not only be taken in through our ears, but Father, may it be applied to our minds and our hearts. And Lord, may this word that is your word, this word that is the very breath of God, this word that will not return void, this word that as the flowers fade and as the grass fails, that this word will never go away. Father, that this word would be the light into our path. Father, we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This message, this letter, this note that Jeremiah sent to the people already in captivity at Babylon was a note met with much opposition. Even before Jeremiah finally penned these words and sent it to the exiles that had already been taken captive there from Judah to Babylon, already people had begun to grow disgruntled with the message that Jeremiah was sharing and preaching and, and giving to the people. They didn't like this idea that Israel, that Judah specifically, the southern nation, was going to be in captivity to the evil Babylonians for over 70 years. They couldn't stomach such a thing. They thought there's no way that God would allow such events to happen. But what they didn't understand was that the sin of the people had become so toxic had begun to stink so much in the nostrils of the Lord that he was left with no other recourse than to say and do exactly what he'd said he would do if his people ever turned from him and abandoned him as the one true God. He'd proven himself true when he did that very thing to the northern kingdom and allowed the Assyrians to come and to, and to take them away into captivity. Why in the world would the southern kingdom not think that he would do the same thing to them? And sure enough, he did. This message that Jeremiah was preaching and preparing the people for, as other prophets like him in his same day and age, this, this message was met with much opposition. As a matter of fact, in the previous chapter, chapter 28, we see this whole incidence between Hananiah, another so-called prophet, and Jeremiah telling the people, Jeremiah is wrong. Jeremiah has no idea what he's talking about. Jeremiah is just filling your head with, with, with scare tactics and all the rest of it. No, no, no. You're not going to be in captivity for 70 years. As a matter of fact, only in two years is God going to break the, the yoke of the Babylonians and you'll be set free. Don't, don't listen to this charlatan Jeremiah and all of his, all of his fear-mongering. Well, if you'll read the very last verse of Chapter 28, you'll see what happens to Hananiah. Hananiah, the prophet, died the same year in the seventh month. You need to be careful about going against the word of the Lord, don't you? And even though Hananiah may have thought that, that he was bringing a more positive message, right? A, a more cheerful message. A message that was, was more about hope than, than reality. It's a sobering reminder that the task of the true prophet of God 
is to always say the word of the Lord. So number one, here's what we want to remember. There will always be competing messages. Our responsibility, our duty is to preach Christ. In a world with competing messages, we must preach Christ. Jeremiah was dedicated to that in the face of opposition, whether it came from Hananiah or if you look at the end of the chapter of 29 and you see a couple of other people mentioned who didn't like the message, who wanted to ridicule or who wanted to totally ignore what was being said by Jeremiah the prophet into helping the exiles and all the rest of it, even those mentioned there at the end of the chapter also would face severe punishment for going against the word of the Lord. And this is why Jeremiah gives us a great example today of a person in not-so-good times still preparing the people for the reality that they were facing and telling them, God's in control, don't worry, I've got some other things to say, but don't buy into the false messages. Hear the truth and believe the truth. For us today, that's being clear about who Christ is and what He's come to accomplish. This is why we must preach Christ and why Jeremiah is still a good person to, to consider when we say things like this, because Jeremiah himself in Jeremiah 31 and 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no man every man his neighbor, no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them and to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jeremiah preached Christ to the people. He preached Christ to the exiles. He preached Christ to those in, in Judah who were, who were debating about what was going on. He preached the message of the Lord faithfully. We even see this in Jeremiah 33. In Jeremiah 33, verses 15 and 16, when he says to the people, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely. And this is the name wherewith the, she shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. Jeremiah preached Christ. He preached the branch of Jesse. He preached the root of righteousness, which is the Lord, which is Christ. And he preached it faithfully to the people. That's our task today. In a world with competing messages, in a world that wants to change everything, in a world that wants to either downgrade the gospel, or in a world that wants to totally rip it of its meaning and everything else, we preach Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ as the penal substitution for our sin. We preach Christ as the propitiation who has come into the world to remove all the sin and shame and guilt from us and to put it on himself so that we through him might be in Christ and be saved by the glory of God. This is what we preach. And we preach it to all who will hear, trusting that what God does with the gospel is what God alone can do with the gospel. And that is save sinners from their sin. And not only save sinners but give them the gift of the new birth in that salvation that not only justifies them, but sanctifies them. This is why we preach Christ. This is why we preach Christ each and every Lord's Day. And this is why we trust that through this gospel and this gospel alone, 
are His people brought to saving grace and matured and grown in that same grace. We preach Christ because we know that it's the only message that can save sinners from their sins. We know that it's the only message that can reconcile people who are different and who are far off together. We know that it is the only message that can save failing message marriages. We know that it's the only message that will rescue teenagers from their darkened troubles. We know that it's the only message that can even cut through all the insanity of social media and, and save lost people from their sin. This is why we must faithfully preach Christ. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? It's the trust that in preaching this message, in teaching this message, that we know that it's a message that is lived for the glory of God. Notice, notice what Jeremiah says to the people. And I, and I love this so much. Because today, <laughs> today we love to make everything complicated, don't we? Here's, here's a 12-step program for this, and here's 15 things to do to, to, to better life and better marriages and all the rest of it. But within this message, here's what Jeremiah tells the people. Build houses, dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that you may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. How do we, how do we live out this message as believers we do exactly what God has told us to do from the beginning. We work our fields. We till our gardens. We build our houses. We live faithfully. We get married. We have as many kids as the Lord will give us, and I mean that. And if you can't have kids... And if you can't adopt them, foster them. Find a way, but take care of children, okay? And then you raise them in the glory and the admonition of the Lord. And you find good mates for them. And you give them to faithful, believing other men. If it's a daughter and you give your sons faithful girls and you say, Mary, and have as many children as the Lord will give you, and build houses and live in them, and work good jobs, and do what we do. You say, but that sounds boring. Yes, it's boring, but it's boring to the glory of God. You see, here's the thing. The, the, the idea is not that we have to do all of these incredible things, that we've got to do all of these, these unbelievable things. No, no, no. We just have to be faithful in the little things. We just have to be faithful in the little things. The little things of sitting down in your living room every evening if you're able or every morning and reading the scriptures with your children. Teaching them the truth of who God is and what he's come to do in the personal work of Christ. Teaching them songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. You see, it's, it's not hard, it's, it's not complicated. It, it's pretty simple. But, but don't mistake me and think that I, what, what I mean by that is that it, it's easy. Because it is hard. In the same world with all these competing messages, it's, it's hard to cut through all that, isn't it? It's hard to gather everybody around the table. 
again, you, you see our family. We've got our three youngest with us and our four all, uh, oldest are, they're, they're, they're doing well. They're at church this morning. At least that's what the picture showed. We'll trust them. And we struggle with this just like everybody else. Even homeschooling and thinking that we're, we should be at home all the time. We struggle with these very same things. But we know that it's so simple what the Lord's told us to do. We don't have to do all of these incredible things. May God call us to do incredible things? Yes, yes. There may come time that in His plan for us that, that we have to go across the world or we have to go to unreached people or we may have to do some, some things like that. But it's still, even when we go to those places, it's still doing these same things that the Lord calls us to do. We're going to go to Ellisville. We may not build a house, but we may buy a house. And we're going to live there. And we want to know the people there. We want to get to know the people there and to make a difference with those people because it's in these types of things that the Lord's work is done day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, generation to generation. And in doing this, living for the good of everyone around you, kind of in that Romans 12 mentality of as far as it concerns you, live at peace with all people. Notice what he goes on to say. Seek the peace of the city, whether I've caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. When was the last time you, play, you prayed for the, the peace of, of Caledonia? Or maybe the peace of Columbus? Or, or maybe the peace for any town or area around you? When was the last time you, you, you spent time in prayer for, for families and others around the area that you know are, are struggling? We know all the things that people are dealing with around us, don't we? Drug. Alcohol abuse, that's a big problem in South Mississippi and as you get closer to the coast and I've seen that in really bad ways. Working with the children's home, you, you come to more of the realities of the, the foster care system as we've seen and you see these, these children who come and your heart breaks. But when was the last time we play, prayed for the, the peace of, of the city? As Christians, we, we sometimes get worried about this message, especially in, in today's culture where, where everything's either woke or not woke, right? In the Christian faith, and we worry about this. We don't want to sound like we're too social gospel-y, like that, that's, that's bad. But we have to be honest, that as believers, we're supposed to pray for the peace of those who we have the opportunity to minister to, right? That we really do want to see lives change. We really do want to see children grow up in, in good homes and be taken care of in good ways. We do want to see good public schools. That's what public schools are supposed to do, don't we? But how do we expect those things to happen if we're not faithful to pray for these things, right? And maybe even go into these places and share the gospel. You see, in connection with this is the idea that in doing what the Lord has called us to do, living our day-to-day -day lives, living them faithfully, working our jobs, caring for our families, doing the things that we've 
that we do. We do this because, because next, it's an idea that we truly do trust God's sovereign plan. Why are we willing to pray for the peace of the city? Why are we willing to do these things each and every day that take time, that may not produce the fruit that we would like to see immediately, but we know over time will indeed produce the fruit? It's because we trust God's sovereign plan. God sovereignly had led his people into captivity in Babylon. He makes it clear. I have sent you there, is what the Lord says. This is where I am sending you to go. God God wasn't sleeping, and the Babylonians came in and took the people away. And he had to come up with some plan B, alternative. No, no, no. He purposed it because his people had been disobedient. He did exactly what God sovereignly has the right to do. They didn't like it, right? We know that from other prophets. We know them saying things like, God, how in the world would you let the Babylonians of all people be our judges? That doesn't seem to make sense, God. And he said, you know what? I'm God, and it makes sense to me. And this is what we're doing. Sometimes it may not make sense where the Lord moves you or where the Lord allows you to stay. Sometimes the job that you thought was the perfect job for you gets taken away. Sometimes the the company that you'd spent years working for decides we don't want you working here any longer. Sometimes the children that you've spent so much time investing in and raising, they rebel. Things so often don't go the way that we anticipate them going. And yet, what we have to understand is that we're still called to trust in God's sovereign plan. Because the very thing that he may be uprooting you for is because he has somewhere else that he's calling you to minister and to be for a season, for a time, maybe even for a generation. Here he was calling these people to be in Babylon for 70, 80 years. 70 years? I say 80 because I always get in my mind that if we live faithfully, you know, the Bible says 70 years, 80 years if we're lucky. But for 70 years they were to be there. Your lifetime, maybe the Lord has called places at different times and and, 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 and in each season you still have to trust that there's a purpose and a plan for what he's doing because everything that he's doing is so that you can be used of him for the good of others this this is the whole idea of 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 why we are called as christians to bear fruit you know that, that when a tree, tree bears fruit, it doesn't bear that fruit for itself, right? It bears the fruit for the joy of others. When you bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you don't bear those things for yourself. You don't, you don't bear that fruit so that you can then boast about the fruit that you're bearing. That's not, no, you bear that fruit for the joy and the good of others to the glory of God. And so we trust that when God says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets, your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which ye have caused to be dreams. When those, again, false messages, competing messages, when those people tell you, you know, just... 
take lemons and make lemonade or, you know, something's better for you. Wherever the Lord closes a door, he opens a window. No. He's placed you here for such a time as this. Yes, that cancer, that cancer may kill you. You still live for the glory of God. Amen? You may not get to work your dream job. You still work the job that you have for the glory of God. Your marriage didn't turn out like you thought it was going to be. It's hard. This person deceived me. They told me they were going to be a good husband, and they're not. Live that marriage for the glory of God. Trust in the Lord's goodness and grace. Stay faithful. Don't believe lies. Don't buy into false prophets. Trust God's sovereign plan. Then we get to the famous verses, I, I guess we would say in this text, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that you think, uh, think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then you shall call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, the text that I preached when I was 17, doing this for the first time, that's the only section I preached, because it was fun to preach that. I look at this now and I see exactly in my mind why the Lord says that here now. He says it because in the midst of living the way that he's called us to live, simple, mundane, even boring lives, but doing faithfully each and every day what he's called us to do, trusting his sovereign plan no matter the situations and circumstances that arise, then, then what do we do in the midst of this? How can we stay rooted? How can we stay grounded? Well, Donald Whitney would say it's, it's through the, the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, which is exactly what the Lord is laying out here in these verses, right? He's saying, pray, read, seek me, search for me, be disciplined in your faith, continue to look upon me and you'll find strength, you'll find purpose, you'll find guidance even in the midst of all of these hardships. This is what he's saying. So what that says to me today, if we move it to our context, that's why we continue to gather every Lord's Day, whether we want to or not. Whether we're in the mood or not, whether we feel like it or not, we continue to gather because we know we need this. We need the singing of songs and the praying of prayers and the, the, the reading and the preaching of the word. We need the ordinances. We need to see people following Christ in baptism. We need to take in the body and blood of Christ through Lord's Supper and Communion. We need these things because we need the word more than we need anything else. We need prayer more than we need anything else. We need to stay focused on Christ more than we stay focused on anything else because this is what sustains us through the day in and day out, through the difficulties, through the hardships, through all of it. This is what keeps us going. Because ultimately, as exiles, as aliens, as strangers, one day 
one day we will get to go home. I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whether I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. One day we'll go home. I like going back home. It, it's really good now because my sister Julie, she owns a restaurant. So I know I at least get a free meal every time I go home. It's really good. And it's, a, it's one of those cafeteria-style home-cooking restaurants. So, I mean, you know, there's uh, turkey and gravy and, you know, all the all good stuff. You know, turnip greens, everything. It's fantastic. I love it. But my parents moved out of the house I actually grew up in about my senior year of high school. So, so even when we go home, the home that they live in is not the home that I grew up in. I stayed there maybe a couple years and then went off to college. But my grandmother's still there, aunts and uncles. It's fun to go home. But then there's parts of it that remind me that it's not home. My granddad on my mom's side died just a couple years ago, and he was my buddy. He was my daddy, Wade. We'd hunt together, work out together, get in trouble together. He's gone to be with Jesus. So it's not quite home, you know. The Lord's kind because he gives us these pictures. He gives us the understanding of what it means to, to return to places that we love, people we love, things we love. But in a fallen world, those things can never match the true joy that awaits us, right? Do you understand that one day you're going to go to a home and there will be no sadness, no disappointment, no fights, <laughs> no angry debates. There will only be peace and love and joy and happiness in this home for all eternity. Do you realize that that's what awaits you, believer? When God consummates, all things, and blesses us with the new heavens and new earth. And where earth and heaven are one, can you imagine the joy that awaits us there? In the early days of the, of the COVID pandemic, and I thought, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read all the books that I've been wanting to read. And so I picked up Knowing God by Packer. And if you've never read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, get it and read it. I don't care what you're reading. There's like four books that I recommend this way. J.I. Packer's Knowing God, The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, Rejoicing in Christ by Michael Reeves. Read those four books. You'll be, you'll be thankful for it, okay? But reading Packer's Knowing God... There was so much that was so good, but, but the biggest takeaway that, that I have that I continue that stayed with me are his six things that he says that every Christian needs to tell themselves every day. Six things. Number one, I am a child of God. Number two, God is my Father. Number three, heaven is... 
Number four, every day is one day nearer. Number five, Jesus is my brother. And number six, every Christian is my brother too. I think if we would remind ourselves of those six things each and every day, it would give us way more of a mindset that we're only here for 70, 80 years if we're lucky. Our exile is temporary, but purposeful. We must not neglect the duties and the responsibilities that the Lord has called us to do while we are here. Simply live faithful. Do what He's called you to do. Pray for those around you and the peace of the people that He's placed you in the midst of. Trust His sovereign plan. Practice the disciplines of the Christian faith. Because in moments of doubt, it's those disciplines that will root you to the truth. And only hold on to this earth with a very loose grip. Because no matter how much it may delight us, it can never fulfill us. Only Christ and only Christ will. If you do not know Christ, not to simply add the gospel on, because hopefully you've heard the gospel throughout this, but if you don't know this Christ, if you don't know this righteous branch, if you don't know this, this Savior and Lord, then believe on Him today. And if you believe on Him today and you trust Him, then live for His glory. Simply, faithfully, every day. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the joy of being together. We thank You for allowing us to, to worship You, to praise You, to come into your presence. Father, I pray that, Lord, your church would be encouraged and lifted up this morning. I pray that you would bless Brother Kelby and his ministry here, that you would surround him with good and faithful men to help him preach and teach the word that you would raise up faithful women of God who love their husbands and who serve faithfully for the good of the church. And I pray that this place would reach untold, un, uncounted people with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father allowing me to worship with these dear brothers and sisters in Christ today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.